0: Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. This is podcast number 155. And if you are new to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast, what's it all about? Well, we are trying to make a interaction with the people in the Mandarin Blueprint Method course that changes the Mandarin Blueprint Method online course from your standard online course into something truly interactive. And what do I mean? Well, if you look at your average online course, somebody... Pre-record some videos and they put it out there and they present it to you in a way that is uh, You know helpful. They've created something they've created a creative product and maybe they give you some PDFs And maybe you can download the video or or, you know, you can do something that will give you the opportunity to Learn some new material, but if you have a question or if you otherwise are unclear on something There's not much you can do. It's just it is what it is. So it's kind of like buying a book but in a digital form, you know, it just, you know, I learned Chinese from the Heisig book, uh, remembering the simplified hands. And if I had a question, I mean, I suppose I could try to find James Heisig's email and ask him, uh, about it, but ultimately it's a, it's a book, right? It just is what it is, but the Mandarin blueprint method, we're consistently monitoring it. We're looking at the lessons. We're looking at what the people in the course are saying, and we're trying our best to, uh, give people feedback and have the uh, course update as we communicate with the people on the course. And that's what the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast is about. We're trying to make sure that every time there's a uh, a chance to learn uh, from the people who are on the course and update it in real time, that we can give them an answer and give them an answer in the form of a video or uh, an audio podcast. So for each of the questions that come in, many of them end up being on the course, and so it's very helpful in that way. So with that in mind, let's give a few updates about what's going on in the course right now, because last week I finally Uh, was able to release the most most recent two updates to the intermediate course. And so the first was the addition of a whole lot of new words to the course to cover the HSKs 2 and 3. So to make sure that all of the content that's in the HSKs 2 and 3 is covered by the end of the intermediate course. And so uh, this includes many words that are medium frequency. So that means that even though they are made up of characters you learn in the foundation course, they actually um, aren't introduced in the foundation course because they're not high enough frequency. We stick the high frequency words only in the foundation course so that you get you know your basic well foundation of the language. Uh, in the top thousand words. But that doesn't mean there's not a lot more words you can make with those characters. After all, they are very common characters, so you can make a bunch of other words. So we introduced these vocab boost lessons to the the intermediate course, which will allow you to get those foundation course character words that are in the HSKs 2 and 3, the mid-frequency words. And they're presented in uh, the, the, there are lessons called Vocab Boost with the, the words in them, and on the community forum, I the, the pinned post at the moment as of uh, August uh, 2021 is the most recent updates, and you can find all relevant links to the Vocab Boost lessons and you know how to uh, uh, how to get access to that. So just head over to the community forum, the Mandarin Blueprint community forum, and you can find uh, the Those updates. Now, the other update I think is even more important, which is that we added 64 graded stories to the intermediate course with text tracking uh, audio that you can click around and shadow, and it's really good, very professionally done recordings. And so they're and they're at you know as close as we can figure out 98% comprehension based on your level. Now, it's one of those things where when you're first starting to read these. Uh, intermediate course story starting in level 37. It might be a bit more of a challenge, but then as you get through by the end to level 57, my b- guess is that it's really going to feel like it's 98% in the sense that 98% feels extensive. It feels like you could keep doing it, you could keep reading, right? So when you have uh, intensive reading, which is less than 98% comprehension, well, you're going to find yourself struggling a bit to keep up with the content because your brain's going to be tired, right? You're going to be reading through it. And you're going to be like, all right, uh, this is a bit much because every, you know, third word or every 10th word, even I have to look something up. But with, um, you know, 98% comprehension, it's essentially every, um, you know, 50th word that you need to that you don't necessarily know and we provide you those words we say this is what that word is so it's not so hard to to understand it's it's just you know essentially you can keep reading and keep getting a sense of the story and that makes such a difference so especially for those of you who are already finished with the intermediate course they're going to be super helpful and they're right in your level and then for those of you who haven't made it to the intermediate course yet just know that you've got a very Uh, exciting path ahead of you with the intermediate course. It's going to help you a lot. And you're going to find that uh, your, your progress really will pick up. And this leads me to one more point I wanted to make about the intermediate course. I'd be curious to get your feedback about this. So there's been a lot of talk recently about the point in which sentences start to become too much. You know, you have too many flashcard sentences to do in your daily flashcard reviews. And so when you reach that point where it becomes too much, uh, you should really switch to focusing more on graded content. And this happens because individual sentences get tedious when there's not enough context. Of course you gotta keep reading. (laughs) Like, you know, there's no way to get to literacy and fluency in Chinese without continuing to read. But there is a certain point where the individual sentence method of reading starts to get a bit uh, dull, and um, not just dull, but just kind of... You start to feel like you're missing the point a little bit. And the reason is because individual sentences on their own are not... Um, you know, they're, they're out of context. It's like, why did this person say this? Well, you don't know. It's, it's, and so, at the beginning when you're just learning how to make sentences, It doesn't matter because just being able to put a thought together is glorious. You're just like, wow, I was able to say, you know, that this thing or understand this one sentence, but eventually you want more. It's just natural. And so somewhere in the intermediate course. It reaches that point where sentences should switch to becoming optional when you're trying to have a surgical understanding of an individual word and go, okay, I, I, I want to see this word in context, so let me just look at it at a sentence that I know will be comprehensible because it's in the Manner Blueberry Method and it, the Manner Blooper Method covers my level, but, you know, at what point should we... should sentences become optional? I'm not exactly sure. My instinct says somewhere around level 40, perhaps. Um, But those of you who've gone through the course, where do you think that sentences should start to become optional, especially now that we have the intermediate course stories out and there's always this other source of reading uh, sentences. So, let me know what you think, at what point in the course, what level, you know, should it be level 40, like I suggest, or maybe a bit earlier or a bit later, should it be at the beginning of the intermediate course, should the intermediate course just start off and you think you had enough sentences in the foundation course, and then from the intermediate course, you should focus more on characters and then read the graded readers and uh you know use sentences surgically let me know what you think i'm, I'm curious to hear uh the feedback from you guys and then we'll put a uh, video in the course recommending to people that they do sentences in that um optional fashion all right well that's enough of announcements let's get into the comments and emails and uh other questions that came in this week. So first we have Jonathan Glazier in the community forum. He says, I'm sure this may have been suggested before. Would making compound characters the entire clothes rather than just one of them be beneficial? Would it reinforce the compound characters? I struggle most with some of the compounds. I live them. How can you not when now gold, xianjin means... Uh, ca- I think you. I think you meant to say I love them. How can you not when now gold, xian Jin means cash right like so yeah like the the now gold the the liquid gold right um so i think that the answer to this so what jonathan is essentially asking is what if we had a closed delete sentence where both of the characters were closed out so the first thing i would say is that if you're going to do this make sure that you actually close out two individual characters and you can see two blanks on the closed delete so you would see like um Blank blank, 来付款, right? So that would mean uh, remember to bring cash to pay, and like you know, so um, 现金 would be blank blank, right? So 你记得带现金来付款, right? So that would mean that's what that means, and then. Uh, if you were to close it out, maybe close out both of the two. Now, in that particular sentence I thought of, because you have the word fuquan there, it's like, well, there's only so many things you're going to be able to fuquan, which means to pay. So you could say, uh, you know, maybe the blank is Jin's so like we're going to pay with real gold. That's what Jin is like actual like gold bars and stuff. Um, but it's unlikely. You're probably going to mean xianjin in this case. But the problem with closing out both characters is that it increases the likelihood that another word would work, right? So uh, if you have a full two-character word that are both closed out, then you know the chances that you could think of something else, I mean, even just there off the top of my head, I thought of an alternative to Xianjin that would fit. I mean, it's uh, less likely, but it still would fit. And so that could be your problem there. Now, the other thing too is that in many flashcard softwares, what you can do is close out both characters in one close, but that's only going to show up as one blank. So then you think it's one character, but it's actually two, so that's the other thing you got to be careful of. So if you're going to do this, make sure that you make a close for each character individually that both have the same number. So like C1 and C1, but they're both closed. That way, the way it actually appears on the screen is, you know, dai blank blank lai fu quan right and so you can see Xian uh, jin space for both of those characters uh, but I, like i say because of that problem where you can actually uh it could it just increase the likelihood that it could be more than one thing and so if that's the case then you got to be careful so i would say there's no real need to do it especially because uh closed deletes are something that you can eventually uh, forget about eventually you don't need to to do it any any longer. So what I would say is that with your closed elites, you know, eventually you're just going to start reading graded readers, and so it's just a temporary thing anyway. As you're in the you know uh, upper foundation, lower intermediate stage, so eventually closed elites aren't even going to be the primary source of your reading. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Next, we have an email from KC. So this is uh, Tina, and so she says. Dear Phil and Luke, tomorrow I will celebrate day 200 of the Mandarin Blueprint Method. Congratulations. Since the Lunar New Year, I have done at least one video lesson and my flashcards every single day. I'm now halfway through level 18. Thank you so much for making learning Mandarin fun and effortless, and for all the thought and organization you put into the courses. Well, I am happy to... Happy that you feel that way, Tina. Of course, it's not effortless. You're doing, you're making a habit. And like ha- making any habit in, for anything, I think is, you know, there's certainly a degree of effort that goes into that. But, you know, fair enough. I, uh, I understand what you're saying. So let's uh, continue. She says, the pronunciation course was immediately helpful. And I understand why you recommend doing it first. Talking about exactly where to place my tongue was super important. It was something my first tutor never mentioned. Perhaps she was a bit squeamish talking about tongues. I also learned how to listen more accurately, and then I could understand Auntie Pleco better too. <laughs> I currently do the minimal pairs deck blind and don't look at either choice to see if I can distinguish exactly which syllable is being spoken. This could be a great add-on listening practice deck. Yeah, so for those of you who are doing the minimal pairs deck, what we do is we put two pieces of pinyin on the screen that are similar, like ji and t. So they're very similar, but there's a slight difference in the aspiration. And so we say, which one of those are you hearing? Are you hearing J-I first tone or are you hearing Q-I first tone? And those two are on the screen, then one of the two plays. So it's like, see, okay, uh, I heard J-I first tone. But what Tina's doing, she's not even looking at the choices on the screen. She's just going, what is the sound just on its own? So it's a little bit of an extra challenge, but anybody could do that. Just don't look at the screen and you're, you're good. The henza movie method is brilliant who knew that all the places i've lived and worked over the years would be so useful Near the beginning of Phase 1, I made a list of potential set locations that I have good memories of, and then saw where I could fit them into finals as they came up. I never made myself an actor, so I can always step in as an extra in a scene if I need to. It's funny, all the scenes I'm in my childhood home, I am young. I also didn't make the people associated with my locations mom, dad, siblings, boss, actors, And and they can also become extras related to a particular set if needed. Some of my movies are hilarious, and I never new learning could be this fun and creative the way you've separated the actors and sets really helps my pronunciation as well one, one, one. right so that's a good example there and uh, yeah i love this element of the course um you know i i had somebody email the other day saying you know oh it seems like there's so much extra effort that has to go into the of the movie method and so why do I want to put in all this extra effort to to learn Chinese characters? Why not just memorize them? And, you know, it was one of those things where I thought, ah, this is such a shame because you're not seeing what makes this so cool like Tina is here, you know. You get to just do this little, like, dance through your – past experiences past places you've lived people you've known in your life you get to like sort of write this kind of weird autobiography of your life while learning Chinese and it's a shame to me when people don't see that but unfortunately it's like you have to kind of do it to understand really what it's like but this is this paragraph that Tina wrote here is exactly what makes it so interesting Um, and you know, just the way who knew that all the places I've lived and worked over the years could be so useful. It's like, it makes you realize that all of your experiences, all of the things that you've gone through in your life, are potential learning nodes. So like there's something that's developed in your brain, there's a network of neurons that are associated in some way with a certain memory, and you can just attach a Chinese thing to that. And so every one of your experience becomes a node that you could attach to it's pretty cool, you know, Continuing, she says, I really was astounded and thrilled to read those first 25 sentences in Phase 3. You really set the whole thing up so well. Once I got that huge first batch of sentences integrated into Anki, I found a good pace. I appreciate how you break up the new characters and sentences into the levels. This way, I'm not too overwhelmed with Anki, and I can keep up with the flashcards and new input every day. A fellow student mentioned using the Anki colors, and I've been adding the font colors to top-down words in the Vocab and Context deck. It just takes a little bit of extra time, but I find it's helping me to be able to read the sentences out loud right off the bat. I'm also deleting top-down words that I already know. So I get extra reading practice. Nice, yeah, yeah. I've thought about doing that before, but the concern I had with doing that was I don't want to emphasize the top-down words. Like The top-down words are there because you can handle it, but they're not the focus of the sentence. So I worried if I changed the color of the top-down words, that it would somehow indicate that they're more important. But if anything, they're the least important part of the sentence. It's like the part of the sentence that is... You know, you'll learn it later, of course. But we, the main thing is, we want to just get give you a sense of sentence structure and how to use the word that's closed out. So anyway, that's just a, a thought about that. But I, I had thought about doing something like that before. Alright, continuing. A few weeks ago, I had a chance to speak Mandarin in public. A woman at the park was speaking Chinese and teaching her son to swing on a swing. I know that one. I approached them to say, "你们好，我在学中文." And she said. I know this one, too, straight out of our sentences. The rest of the conversation was a bit clunkier, but it was great to see that I can speak and understand more than six months ago, and that I also have so much more to learn. Yeah, so, like, I mean, you know, when you're in this foundational stage of learning, first of all, it's impressive that you can do, like, anything like that. It was very, very great uh, to see that you're, you know, doing stuff on online, A, makes you hear something correctly and then be able to have an interaction. Yeah, it's awesome because Chinese really does compound in how much you learn. So, like, when you get to a certain point where your foundation is strong enough, you you learn really quickly and you go from, you know, barely being able to hold a conversation to being able to talk back and forth quite a bit. But it takes a while because you got to learn enough characters that it builds up this foundation. Then, boom, you take off. So, it's like – um you know, Chinese kind of like that hockey stick graph, where it's like really slow progress, moving up only a little bit over time, and then suddenly, boom, you know, you take off. Um, And so that's kind of how that is, but still it's the fact that you could do that is incredible. This bit by bit, everyday learning approach has affected the rest of my life too. I recently gave my kitchen an update. I painted and put down new tiles. I did it all myself and it was not a small project, but I broke it down into small manageable tasks and got it done over two weekends. I realized that my mental capacity to do that was really influenced by how I'm learning Mandarin with you. I found other pre-recorded online lessons to be one directional and lifeless in a way. I really appreciate that you reply to the comments right away on the page and in your podcasts. It feels like you're there with us in real time. I also appreciate the comments that other students have made before me, and I hope some of my comments are helpful to others behind me too. Most of my Mandarin speaking friends live in Taiwan where they use traditional characters. I was thinking of making additional movie scenes in black and white, but I think I need to learn more props first. Do you have any suggestions for learning traditional? With gratitude, Tina. So um, the, I just wanted to comment first about how, you know, it's the habit building that is so universally applicable, right? So you, you get that every day. She started off the email saying 200 days in, haven't missed a day. That's what makes the kitchen work, you know, easy because like i've had the same exact thing And i mean i did my first experience ever doing a daily thing that you know you slowly progress but over a year you make a lot of progression whatever was drumming uh when i was a kid but then i don't think i really did anything quite like that until i did chinese again and i was reminded oh yeah 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 this is the thing you got to do you got to get in the shed that's what they call that in uh jazz musicians you know i'm shedding You know, which is a practice. Basically, you go out to the shed and you practice out in the shed. I'm sure that's where that originated. If I'm like, some jazz musician was playing in the house, and their spouse was like, "Hey, go back to the shed." But um, you know, the idea of shedding and spending that time, uh, just practicing uh, on a daily basis. When I started applying that again to Mandarin, it just became so clear to me. It's like, oh yeah, this is such a universally applicable uh, skill, which is just about you know, just the daily something is so much, it's literally infinitely more than doing nothing. So you don't have to win today. You don't have to become the fluent Chinese speaker today. Uh, You don't have to finish your kitchen in one day. Nobody can do those things. Like they're not, anything that's longer than a one day project means that you're going to have to break it down. So you might as well just get into the habit of going, oh, I'll just do this, do that. Katsumoto has this thing of like, just, clean one dish if you have a, a kitchen sink full of dishes you know you don't have to clean all of them just clean a dish you know and that's that's still a positive move that you've made and then of course once you start uh, often you keep going um now she's asked a question about traditional characters and i'd say the first thing to do with traditional characters is figure out which ones are uh, no different. So like there's actually an easy way you can do this. If you have a, if you have a Mac and you took like the Mandarin blueprint list of characters that you get at the uh, level reviews and you just copy them and then put them onto like the notes or or pages or something, you can actually right click and it has a, and go to services. And it has this option to um, convert to traditional. And there's probably online web apps that do this as well. And what you can find by doing that is which words are which characters are no different. So that would be the first thing to to recognize what traditional characters do you already know. Then there's a second category of traditional characters, which is there's one primary change that's changed systematically. So like for example, the megaphone component, which is the left side speech component, that's a representation of the character yen in yu yan which means language so that yan character in simplified chinese gets minimized down to a simple two stroke uh left side character but in traditional characters when there's that megaphone component it gets uh expressed as the full yan character just a bit squished right so there's loads of different words that have that exact that are exactly the same as the simplified character, except instead of the two-stroke simplified version of the speech component, it's the full yen version of the speech component. So, you know, for example, in the word tall yen, the character tall, which I believe is in level seven or eight of the Mandarin Blueprint Method. It's the speech component and the ruler component, right? So you would just switch the speech component to being the full version of uh, Yen and not just the two-stroke, and there you go. You've got tall now. So not that hard to learn. Another good example of that is bay, the seashell. Uh, it's just a little bit different, but every time it's a little bit different. And then there's the third category, which is uh, characters that were simplified to the point where um, they're, they're – quite different, and they're not obviously the same, and um, you know, I've never learned the traditional characters properly, like because of those two things I just told you, I can usually, you know, make my way through traditional text, Uh, but it is a challenge, it's the kind of thing that, you know, I would do a lot better if I actually uh, learned the remaining part of it, but the main thing I would say is that you need to identify which characters even need this to be done in the first place, so that's like step one, figure out exactly what characters have a significant enough difference in them that you uh, you know need to add some further mnemonic to it now um, if I were doing it, having done the 3,000 traditional characters and you know now I know far more than that, it it would be easier because I would have all of my props already in place, which is a point that Tina made. she said she, perhaps I need to learn more props first and there's definitely something to that because if you know all the props then it's just a matter of figuring out the props and you might have to create new props because sometimes the um traditional characters have so many components in them that you're going to need to chunk a bit more like uh we set up chunking as a way of going okay these three props together mean this character and so you can now imagine a new object to represent those three props together so instead of remembering three props you only have to remember one and that connection allows you to Uh, chunk information together which is uh, allows you to learn faster and so you know you may need to do some of that and this is the kind of thing that we do we do you know someday plan on doing uh it's just um that the vast majority of mandarin speakers in the world are in mainland china and they do simplified so it's like that's the focus that we're doing now but uh adding traditional characters to our courses definitely in the cards at some point so thanks for asking about that tina Next we have James Rogers by email, he says, Hey Luke and Phil, finally getting around to replying, lol. I started learning Chinese in January this year. I've used a lot of resources, and that's mostly because I've been trying to plug the gap between the way it's taught and the way it should be taught. (laughs) After three weeks of the Rocket Chinese audio course, I realized that there are a lot of sounds that are repeated, then looking at the characters it's clear they are different even if they sound the same i was actually meant to be saying die but was saying die if you're not uh if you're listening only to the audio it's dies in to be located somewhere versus dies in again um not that anyone else would know lol So I knew then, to make the language clear in my head, I'd need to learn characters. So I began on Chinesey, which I really liked and taught me a lot of basics. I write and review all characters, but at level 425 I got bored of not moving forward, so in my search came across the Heizek books. With Heizek, I always knew that after the 3000 characters, I'd have to go and switch words together, which overwhelms me more than remembering characters. Where do I even start with that? Right. This is the problem with uh, the Heisig Method, is that because they don't teach a pronunciation mnemonic for their uh, individual characters, there's not, like, going back and learning the words is tricky because you don't know the pronunciation of the characters, so you have to figure out a way to learn the pronunciation, maybe just by rote, I mean, it's certainly easier to learn pronunciation alone by rote if you've learned everything else through mnemonics, but still, it's it's still a tedious process, and uh, then you got to figure out the characters, you know, or the words and how they combine, so it's it's tricky. Uh, I'd seen a few Mandarin Blueprint podcasts, and I love how super enthusiastic Phil is. He really loves his job in Chinese. Eh, that, that's, that's correct. I love watching Luke as it's like watching an inner monologue unfold and he's got a calming nature to him. But how would I justify another resource to my wife? LOL. <laughs> Everyone so far was going to really help me progress and be the last one. Yeah, I can imagine that. You know, you keep trying different resources and you're like, why is this one going to be the right one? So, yeah, fair enough. The Mandarin Blueprint is the whole package. I'm learning characters' words, their different usages and placement in a sentence in one go. It's a progressive revealing of the language, not unrelated information that I'll struggle to connect. But even more than that, it's a living course. We're learning elements of culture. We're having our questions answered, and we can speak to people who have been where we are. We know you want us to win and succeed, not just because you've worked so hard to make the course, but because you know what the view is like from the other side. And I bet it's glorious. (laughs) It sure is. Thanks for all the work, guys. I'm on level 25 currently. I'm not looking much at the stories. I shadow each sentence. I practice as it's easier to get the rhythm on a single sentence than lose momentum on longer form content. I will finish the foundation and then go back through the stories and let the Anki deck die down a little before the next stage. My biggest struggle is listening. It's hard to see a time where I'll ever hear a Chinese person speak and instinctively know what they mean. The interaction I've had with Mandarin speakers has been brilliant, but they always think I'll understand them as I can rattle off what i want to say but have little understanding of their response that i find disheartening but i'm sure i'll get there thanks again guys jimmy now I, he has an addendum that he added this but i just wanted to comment on that last bit you know you can flip the script on that a little bit if if a chinese person is responding to you as if you'll understand that means that you're expressing yourself in a way that makes them think that you'll understand them which is really impressive you know if you can come if you can talk to a chinese person in such a way that they go yo, this guy obviously will understand me because look at how good his Chinese is, and then they start speaking too much or too quickly for you to understand. It's a compliment. So, like, it doesn't have to be disheartening. In a way, it should be encouraging, but, you know, I I, I do see the point because you want to be able to understand them, of course. Um, And, uh, yeah, listening always comes last. We talk about that. You know, there's just no way around it. It's just one of those things where because you don't know the origin of the – like, obviously, if you have enough context, you can understand things a lot better. But, like, suppose someone just starts speaking to you and you don't know what topic they're going to bring up. It can be really tough uh, to, to figure that stuff out. But then again, there's only one way to get there, which is to get more comprehensible input and have more uh, hooks for your brain to grab onto uh, in hearing what a Chinese person is saying. You have to have heard something before in order to get it or at least heard something uh, – that fits a pattern that your brain will recognize and that's just it's just what it is but that the mandarin Blueprint method is meant to give you get you through that as quickly as possible uh, here, continuing on to his addendum, he says, something I'd forgotten to add. I'd started using flashcards, SRS flashcards every day with the phrases I was learning from rocket languages and had found that so effective to learning these sentences. But the workload load of making thousands of cards is high. The fact you've made all the Anki cards and it's just about editing them is a massive relief. Anki really is the key to learning as it reinforces the learning. I'd say Anki is a large part of the actual learning, not just the revision. I'd also used memory palaces before and taught my kids using it we learned all the times tables and a few days using the von cube method it's hard work at first but the retention rate and recall speed is what Uh, is where you make your money back that's true of the mandarin blueprint method also thanks phil hearing that you've been on a decent fast nudged me to start multiple day fasting again essay writing will now cease for the day lol thanks guys (laughs) i'm glad to know that my my weird uh dietary choices have uh inspired somebody um so yeah thanks so much for your feedback james great stuff uh i think that this will be inspiring for other people as well as to hear your story and um you know, it's all a rich tapestry, this learning Chinese. And you got to enjoy the process because there really is no point where you go like, ah, oh, everything is great now that I know Chinese. It doesn't really work like that. It's more like, uh, you know, at some point, you, you have your moments of being like, good, I'm glad I can do this or I'm glad I can function in this way. But at the end of the day, you know, your learning of Chinese is, um, you know, you got to enjoy the process. Otherwise, you probably will never enjoy it. So I'm glad to see that that's how that's going for you. And we appreciate the email. Next, we have Daniel Leo Simpson on which is the first of the intermediate course graded readers. He says, So great. A new addition to the Mandarin Blueprint Library. Well, we're glad to have it there. We're excited about it. I'm so happy that they're out now. They're so helpful, uh, these uh, graded stories. So it took us a while, but we figured it out. Next, we have George Jay on Kaiman in Context. He says man the yang I initially interpreted this as she opened the do- the door in an elegant manner referring how referring much more to how she opened the door rather than her appearance upon opening the door how would you show this different meaning in Chinese so we have ta the yang so the the first, the second half of it is just very elegant, so the question is what is the elegance being applied to here right um you know you might say "kaimen the shahal Ta yoya that would be even clearer that it's about her, right um and it's about her appearance uh ta the yoya is like it could be saying like what's tricky about this one is it is yangza applying to like specifically the moment that she's opening the door or is it just referring to her i mean like you could make the argument that it's referring to her opening the door because it's Kaimen the yangza but it's ta Kaimen the yangza so the the fact that it's applying to ta at the beginning of the sentence now suppose you wanted to get across uh that open she opened the door in an elegant manner um 她开门的方式真优雅 So, 方式 is not appearance, it's way of doing something, right? I I believe 方式 comes up in level 35 as a word. So, 她开门的方式真优雅 It would be kind of weird, though, to describe a way of doing something as elegant, but, you know, it's it's not impossible. So, that would be the change. Just change 样子 to 方式 Because 样子 tends to get applied to people or, or, or objects It doesn't tend to get applied to actions right But feng shi that gets applied to actions. So you can think of it like that. Ryan Sayed on Fumu She de bao xiang which is a s- story in level 21. I had a question but before that I just want to say this longer form content is super refreshing after only having sentences to read with words. My question was about the sentence 宝宝长大后 Zhang Da Ho. 也不一定不高. I'm mainly confused about the yeah here. What does it mean also? So the sentence roughly translates to, when the baby grows up, it also will not necessarily be tall. Or do we have that boo construction where it means not even a little bit. Uh, so that then the text is saying the baby won't be tall at all when it grows up. Uh, no, it's not that final bit. That's boo. You have to have the EDN. That's a set phrase. So just saying yeah boo by itself is not does not mean not even a little bit. EDR Yeah boo uh, is the way to say not even a little bit. Um so here's so the problem with the question is that the the uh, Ryan only pasted the second half of or I should say the uh, the final quarter of a sentence when this actually applies to uh, to the sentence previous. So if we read this whole section, uh Rugo Fu mu do bu bai na eating bai and bu bai and bai na na bai bu And so that's the first part of this which is saying if the parents are both white then the uh babies will indeed be will definitely be white but if one parent is white and one parent is not white then those babies will they might be white they might not be right so that's the first bit of t- context and so then we have ru fumu fu mu dou gao baobao da ho ding gao so like that that is if both parents are tall then the uh baby after growing up will for sure be tall 但如果父母都不高, so but if the parents are both not um tall the baby after growing up also is not necessarily going to be not tall so the what it's really going back to is the sentence not na baobao Kanang bai kanung bu bai because that sentence establishes that you don't know what's going to happen sometimes when parents are different or they're they're one way or the other and so by saying ye ding, uh, that's kind of the same as saying kaneng bai bu kaneng adjective kaneng bu adjective right so bui ding is another way of saying The same thing so the idea here is that the year applies to that whole bunch of text it's not just that sentence so this is part of the reason why we say that it's so important to uh do these um longer form content because sometimes the sentence alone isn't enough you don't know what the reference point is so hopefully that uh makes sense there ryan next we have ann giles on the shadowing lesson in phase four she says thanks luke and phil In this video and podcast for explaining shadowing, suggesting daily practice, but also pointing out that it's hard brain work and to start with short time increments. I began yesterday yesterday afternoon with a 5-minute sand timer. I did look at the timer during the first 5-minute turn and didn't quite make it through the second. I truly was breathless. During last night's Chinese TV watching, however, I found myself listening with even more attention. Adding 10 minutes of shadowing to each day makes a related kind of sense. Interestingly enough, I use a standing desk. During today's session of shadowing, I will have William Beeman's advice uh, about singing opera in mind and try to use the feel and be the words, not just say them. I appreciate the Mandarin Blueprint members' comments as well. Uh, This is all very helpful and exciting. Thank you. Yes, so uh, shadowing is one of those things. It's super helpful. You get a lot of bang for your buck, but it's definitely really hard because you have to listen, read, and speak at the same time. So it's a lot going on. It's very brain intensive. But doing it for five to 10 minutes every day, again, this is like, I mean, that's a lot over your uh, over a year, right? So that's a, that's plenty of time over a year. And that's a lot, you know, you're going to practice if you do five, 10 minutes a day of really solid sounding like a native speaker after a year, I mean, you really think you're not going to sound good. You're going to sound great. So, uh, it doesn't have to be a lot. It just has to be daily. Richard Ashbrook on level 13 complete. This has been very valuable. At first, I was struggling to find value. I trusted in Phil and Luke, and then it hit me how amazing this exercise has been. Other language courses tried to get me to memorize characters. However, when I saw them in a sentence, it was as if I had never seen them before. The opposite happened with this exercise, i.e. I could read and understand. What a huge boost to my confidence. Yeah, that's... uh, It's what we're about. We're trying to actually help you learn the language by building the foundational knowledge, not just going like, hey, here's how you handle being in a restaurant. Like, it's like that will only stay in your head for the length of the lesson and maybe like five, ten minutes afterwards, and then it's going to go away because it's just there's not enough to grab on to the knowledge. You have to build the knowledge meticulously and thoroughly, in the beginning, and then you get good at it, and then you move fast. And you will move faster in the long run with the Mandarin method. There's no doubt about it. But the beginning, yeah, the beginning is foundation building. It's like it's, you got to dig down before you go up, right? So um, there's no uh, there's no way around that. And the people who try to convince you that there is, well, you know, see how long you remember what they teach you. Gary Hepner on compound final way quiz. What is the difference between voiced and unvoiced in Mandarin phonetics? One source I found says B is voiced in English, but here it seems unvoiced is uh, the correct answer for B and D, right? So in Chinese, B, D, and G are unvoiced, and so the difference between that is just that, like if I say how do you pronounce B, and I go B, B, the the all that uh uh is my vocal cords vibrating and thus making sound. If I say, how do I pronounce the beginning of the letter B, it's just, that's the unvoiced part of it. So, B, D, G. So you kind of get that sense of where it's moving between. So the B is on the lips, the D is on the tip of the tongue in the front, and then the G is on the back of the tongue towards the back of your mouth. And so they are B D and G, you know ba ba ba, but it's not ba ba ba. It's ba ba. And so the only sound there is the A, the A final B A. There's no extra sound with the B. So, with that in mind, that's what that means. So, B D G would be voiced B D G, but b, t, is the unvoiced. Ryan Sayed on vocab unlocked from fool evil shuofu. He says, "Is shuofu one of those verb result examples where it's like you speak to someone until they are convinced, like shuoming, which means speak to somebody until they understand, which means to explain exactly?" Yeah. So, fu um, by itself is a verb meaning convinced. It's something you'll come across later. It's not as uh, frequently used in that way, but sometimes people will say, uh, "Well, bufu," which means I'm, I'm kind of unconvinced. So to shuofu you need to shuofu someone who is bufu because that means that they are unconvinced so you need to speak until they're convinced so yeah you're exactly right Hussein Ab- Abdul Qadar on Tai Tai in context Tai Tai de kanfa the wife's viewpoint is different from the father's why is there no du after baba since we are comparing the father's kanfa so like his his point is maybe it should be Tai Tai de de yang right? Which um, would also be correct. But what I would suggest to Hussein is that this, um, this way of formulating a question I don't think is actually quite very useful because you're asking why something isn't. But really what you should be taking away from this is that you can do this. So for example, 太太的看法和爸爸不一樣 is okay. That's all that you really need to take from it, is that that is a correct way to say it. You could also say, yang." But as for why you it's not universally with the extra de, is kind of a question that doesn't really have an answer. Like, it's like, well, it's just the language developed this way. Now, the one thing I will say is that it, if you're going to abbreviate things, Chinese does tend to abbreviate things when we're talking about family relations, and close relations to things. So you can make the argument that perhaps if we were talking about, uh, you know, relationships that are less intimate, that maybe you would add the d, but it's a very subtle distinction. And what we, what we learn from this sentence is essentially that you can omit the d, Sometimes in this case, and that's all you need to take away from it and just keep paying attention. And then you'll notice from there, but there's really no need to uh, overanalyze it. I would say just, just recognize that you can do it and then uh, leave it at that. Oscar Hagland on vocab boost, which has a bunch of words in it, but th- the two he's focused on here are Zhongyi and Yi. He says, cultural question here. Do the Chinese still con- consider traditional Chinese medicine as science as portrayed in Zhongyi, which means, like, um, Chinese traditional medicine is a very difficult uh, subject to learn. It's a bit like we would say homeopathy science or astrology science. Not sure if this is an appropriate question to ask, but I'm kind of a scientific skepticism buff, so this this kind of thing uh, interests me. Yeah, so totally understand the question. You know, my I came into China with a very much, like, Traditional Chinese medicine. What are you talking about? If it's if it works, then it's just medicine. There's nothing Chinese about it. If it works, it's just. But then I came to realize that perhaps it's um. You know it. it Chinese people themselves don't consider traditional Chinese medicine to be like trauma cure or like co- uh, fixing a problem that's already come about. So like it's not that they won't necessarily prescribe things, but. Usually Chinese medicine is about like prevention or like, oh, you've got a slight cough. Here's some things that might help with that. But it's like nothing major. Any Chinese traditional medicine doctor, if you were to like you had trauma from a car accident or you've got cancer or something, they'll be like, yo, go see a Western doctor. And that so they're not like trying to suggest that this is an alternative to Western medicine. Their idea is this should work in concert. And so there's that element to it. Then there's things like the placebo effect. We know the placebo effect exists. It's, you know, demonstrably true that people, if they believe that something is working for them, that they oftentimes will get this placebo effect. It's amazing. It's one of those things that seems uh, incredible and seems like, you know, wouldn't be true about the world, but it clearly is. So the fact that so many Chinese people believe in the efficacy of traditional Chinese medicine is such that it has this effect of all these people getting the placebo effect. And so there's that. And then there's also things like, so when you're talking about prevention, there's so many factors at play. It's like in order to do the scientific method properly, you must isolate a variable. But when you're talking about the human body and like, say what, dietary regimen are you on or are you eating ginger uh, from time to time or having ginger tea or is putting this uh, root of a vegetable into your diet along with all the other things that are happening along with the air you're breathing the water you're drinking the amount of exercise you're doing the amount of sleep you're getting like the and the way that your body's organs all interact with each other it's not even just multivariate it's mega so you can't really isolate this stuff too much and you're talking about prevention. We're not talking about cure. If we're talking about cure, it's easier because you can just figure out whether or not adding, you know, a certain chemical to somebody's uh, system cured or didn't cure uh, people of a disease in a certain situation. But when you're talking about prevention, it's like, why didn't you get the get a cold? Well, who knows? Lots of reasons you might not have gotten a cold. One of them might be that you were drinking ginger tea, but like, you know, probably not, but still it's one of those things where you can't really prove it wrong. So the fact that people are like willing to put the, these things into their, uh, sort of preventative wheelhouse, it's kind of like, all right, well, you know, go ahead and try that, I suppose. And maybe it'll work for you. So anyway, um, that's all just to say that I think that, um, I think that Chinese traditional medicine—it's—it's it's, people do believe in it, but they don't—they think it should work in concert with Western medicine. They don't think it should replace Western medicine. Uh, and the fact that they believe in it means there's a lot of placebo effect going on. And also because it's about prevention, it's hard to disprove it. So like you know, it's one of those things where I, I, my personal opinion is go for it if you want to use some Chinese traditional medicine, go for it. And also as a side point, acupuncture as a stem of Chinese traditional medicine is it's kind of weird how many people anecdotally find value out of that even though it's hard to scientifically figure out what's going on there but you know so many people have an injury they get acupuncture and they're feeling better it's pretty wild so acupuncture is kind of in a little category of its own there but yeah let's move on to the vocab living links for this week and reminder this is the uh, connections that people are making to multi-character words in the Mandarin Method Foundation course. So when you're first learning words, you're making connections between characters you already learned properly through the the movie method and seeing how do they relate. Now you can relate this to um, things that come from your own personal history, which are a little bit less shareable because they're, you know, personal, but you might connect it to something from uh, media or just have an idea of a clever pun you could make about some Character or you could listen to how it sounds and make a connection there And so we ask people to share these so that we can pass them on to the course for people coming into the future so first we have Enderwaters on vocab unlocked from 自己 so this character or this word means oneself so like it would be himself or 我自己, myself he says if you get cloned you could make out with yourself. So, there's an example of you imagine yourself getting cloned, you're making out with yourself, it's very self related. So, that little idea, you know, and maybe you could even find an image on Google that is of, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, just, uh, I bet you could look up like clones kissing and you'd find something. <laughs> it's the internet. Uh, Chris Young on Vocab Unlocked from Xian, Xianzai, Fa Xian, Xian Fa Xian. Send current. Ben Franklin discovering electricity when lightning sent current down the kite string. And also, I think true, he discovers lightning. And of course, Fa is like, um, you know, lightning is one of those things that really just happens in the current moment. Like it's a, it's a perfect example of what we think of as something happening in a flash, right? So um, it's a, that's a great example there from Chris. Tina Clark on vocab unlocked from Swan. Zhong Swan and Da Swan. The little ballerina plans on becoming Da Swan. Da Swan. I like that one. Swan Queen and Swan Lake. I love it. Perfect. Gavin Meekin on vocab unlocked from Sui Sui Shi. I'm going with the semantic connection that's obvious to me here. Sui, casual, sure time. If you're casual about the time, it'll happen at any moment, any time, or all of the time. It doesn't matter because it's casual time, right? So I like that. Perfect. And that's I used to always think that too with sui, shi. You know, because sui, bian is the word for casual. Like, hey, ta han sui, bian. Like, he's, he's a casual dude. So sui, shi is like, any oh, anytime, whatever, no big deal. Um, so, yeah. Keith Evans on Vocab Unlocked from Tsi. Fei, And he says uh for Lai, Bob Marley singing Get Up, Stand Up. That's a great tune. That's perfect. I love musical connections. Uh to me, there's an implied together in the message. For example, we gonna stand up for our rights, which uh gets the eatsy going. Probably similar similar to your suggestion of uh. 中国起来, right, and so and then qi fei is the third word there, that's pretty obvious, it's like rise and fly, take off, right? So it makes sense. Keith Evans on vocab unlocked from Bu Bu Yong Bu Guo, he says, For Bu Yong, I recalled a recent funny image slash meme of a really bored looking lifeguard at an Olympic swimming event. It is titled, If You Feel Useless Today. Just remember somebody is working as a lifeguard at the Olympics and Google finds it. Yeah, I saw that meme too. It was making the rounds. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it is pretty funny imagining how useless. You won't even need you. So yeah, uh, awesome stuff this week. That's all the comments and questions. And we appreciate them as always. We'll see you next week.